Lord, thank you that um, you created us for community, for family, um, both biological family, but also um, family of Christ and in Christ. Lord, those incredible roles of, of care and support, uh, of love, uh, correction, Lord God. Um, Lord, help us to live um, as a family, uh, as one another, brothers and sisters, and uh, fathers in the faith, and mothers in the faith, helping us to learn and grow. Lord, would you bless um, the mothers uh, this day, um, those who are biological mothers, those who serve um, in, as spiritual mothers and caregivers to friends and family, nieces, nephews. Lord, would you give us strength? In your name we pray, amen. We are in a series that we are looking at the power of questions. Jesus asked over 130 questions in different ways, shapes, and forms, so poignantly and powerfully using the, the questions to get us to think, to wrestle, to bring conviction um, throughout his ministry. My hope is also that in this series is that we wouldn't just be convicted by the questions that Jesus asks and we apply to ourselves, but also that we might learn from him in that skill of asking questions, using questions in things like parenting, using questions in things like discipleship, using the questions uh, perhaps in witness and sharing the faith. I was thinking back to, uh, I was in high school and uh, ha had a cousin, Justin. Um, his family uh, came from a, a family of four, or actually five kids, and every once in a while, we would take one of the kids just for that special time. So it was Justin's weekend, and he was very young, I think three or four, and my aunt dropped him off, and she said, oh, by the way, Justin is in that time of asking a lot of questions, all right? So, you know, we're three or four. I'm sitting at the breakfast table. My mom is cleaning up from breakfast. And Justin is looking at her, and he asks a question. He says, where is Cousin Bruce? And my mom responds, oh, Cousin Bruce is downstairs. He thinks about it for a moment. He says, where is Cousin Bruce? And my mom said, Cousin Bruce is downstairs. He had another question. Where is Cousin Bruce? <laughs> you see, he had a particular twist of asking questions that he wouldn't just ask 20 questions, but he would ask 20 of the same exact questions. Little did I know that I was being prepared for my own Little Miss 20 questions. But that one, especially as a teenager... That, that was a little grating, right? To have the same question again and again. And I'm sitting there at the breakfast table thinking, oh, no, not again. This is, here we go. And he's asking, and my mom so patiently 
as an aunt ask, answering the question. And then there's a, there was a moment of clarity that happened. Justin asked this question, where's cousin Bruce? And instead of my mom repeating after the sixth or seventh time, she asked him a question. Do you know what question she asked him? The same exact question. Where is cousin Bruce? And Justin said, downstairs. And then he pondered for a moment. And then he went downstairs. And I could finish my breakfast in peace. The, the power of a question. The, the Jesus question we're going to look at this morning is perhaps the one that Jesus repeats more than any other question. He, he doesn't always ask it in the form of question, but he also almost always connects it to a question and he connects and it's about a spiritual concept that must be very, very important for us because this is, there has to be some reason that Jesus repeats this spiritual concept and connects it, not just to questions, but a variety of different areas in our lives. That he takes this question, this spiritual concept, and he connects it here and there in all these areas as if he's wanting to teach us. Sometimes we need to ask ourselves a question. What's the key spiritual concept that he repeats again and again and again? Well, let's turn to the Gospel of Mark and find out. Chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 35. If you've brought your Bibles, wonderful, turn, open those. There are some Bibles located in the seats in front of you. And uh, chapter 4 in the Gospel of Mark is kind of like the Sermon on the Mount. It's uh, the Sermon on the Lake. So Jesus is um, uh, teaching near the Sea of Galilee, and the crowd is so big, and he's so crowded that he gets into a boat, and they push back. Imagine all these crowds, and they've come to hear the rabbi teach, and the, uh, perhaps the water uh, provides kind of a natural amphitheater so they can hear Jesus. And Jesus starts teaching parables on the kingdom of God, asking questions, inviting people to understand the nearness of the kingdom, the different aspects of the kingdom. And then we're told he teaches all day, and verse 35 reads, the day when evening came, so he's been teaching all day, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Verse 36, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along uh, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. I like that little detail. So you've got this furious storm that's happening across the boat and there's Jesus on a pillow. He's just sleeping away, right? And the disciples, the disciples woke him and they said this, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, 
and it was completely calm. Now, some commentators, not all, would say that this was probably not a natural storm, that there was probably some uh, spiritual evil, spiritual underlining creating this furious squall. In fact, Jesus, if you read on in chapter five, he's gonna come across a man who is possessed by several demons. His name is Legion. And so there's power, and some think that this was a spiritual attack. They know who Jesus is, that he's the son of God, and they're trying to keep him away. So this wasn't just any storm. And yet Jesus was still asleep. He was on the cushion. And there's this peace. And, And the disciples, he allows this to unfold before him. And then he rebukes the storm. And listen to what he says. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Two questions, actually, this morning. Why are you so afraid? And you still have no faith. The thing that really draws me and my attention is how he asks those two questions back to back, that he connects them with one another. I think that's intriguing and and somewhat challenging. He connects with these two questions their level of fear and trepidation to what? Their level of faith. Grand or small. He's making these as if there's an indication that some of these things in our lives, like fear, can be connected or an indication or reveal this also important concept of faith in the Christian life. Now, I'm assuming that most of us in this room wrestle with fear at some level in different seasons and different times. Is that right? Yes. My question is this. Do you ever connect it to faith? Is it too challenging to connect to faith? I was thinking of myself. There's different times that I wrestle with fear, but not just for myself, but even more so For my kids, parents, can you relate to that? That we share that fear even more so with the possible exception of when I am teaching them how to drive. I'm in the death seat, so I have more fear for myself than them, right? Right? No control, crazy. But in most instances... I have a a lot of fear, wrestle with fear for the kids. Luke, my oldest, is graduating this week, and we're about to release him into the world, right? He's going to college. It is a great potential for fear and trepidation. I still don't know how I'm going to handle it. Yeah. Should I connect that to faith? Is it connected to faith? How I handle 
releasing Luke into the world? Is it connected to faith? I think it is. Let me ask this question of the text. What do you think is Jesus' intention behind asking the disciples these two questions of fear and in faith? What's Jesus' intention? Is he trying to shame them? Maybe he really does, is annoyed because they woke him up from sleep, right? I just imagine he could have said, guys, come on. And then he primps his pillow back and he goes back to, no, no, he doesn't do that for shame. Why does he do that? Because faith is so crucial. He's not asking that question, nor should we ask that question of ourselves for the purpose of shame and blame and judgment and condemnation, but he's wanting to pull out, teach us about faith. Teach us about how we are to be people of faith, that we can't please God without faith. He's wanting us to ask that question. Do we really believe? Do we, do we really trust our Father that he's good? Do we really trust that Jesus is providential, that he knows our lives and he has the details of our lives and the lives of our children and the lives of people that we care for? Do we really, really believe that he's got this? Or do we wrestle with faith? I think knowing and believing in Jesus' goods, good intentions gives us courage to ask those hard faith questions, to make those connections that he is wanting and inviting us in the place of fear, he's wanting to give us courage. In the place of fear, he's wanting to give us peace. And the pathway to those places is that we trust, we really trust him as our father. What's really intriguing for me is uh, walking through, in, in fact, uh, we're going to walk through just a little bit of the, the gospel of Matthew. And there's a number of places that Jesus takes this concept of faith and he makes these different connections in the lives of his followers, his disciples. And I wanted us to look at real briefly and think about these faith connections. One is Jesus connects faith and our struggle with worry. I know none of you worry, right? Is that true? You good? Should we skip this one? Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 let's dig in. Just, just for the few of you that wrestle with worry. Jesus was talking to his disciples about do not worry. He doesn't want us to be worry warts. And he asks actually a series of questions, getting us to think and wrestle through, is not life more than food, the body more than clothes? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to, to your life? And then he says, you of little faith. See that connection? He, he connects worry with our level of faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans 
By that he means those who don't know the Father, that don't know Jesus. Run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need him. Need them. Did you notice that, that connecting of worrying and, and that trust in the providential care of your heavenly Father? The pagans, yeah, they run after all these things. They're going to worry because they don't know the Father. They don't know him. They shouldn't have faith. But you, you should live differently than those. The level of worry in your life should look different because of your faith in a providential, loving, good Father. You of little faith. Jesus connects faith to our struggle with doubt. Do any of you struggle with doubt? Should we skip this one? Should we go or with this? Okay, let's just go just uh, in this one. Many of us know the story well. It's another story on the boat, but this time Jesus sends the disciples. They're in the boat without Jesus. And in the middle of the night, they see Jesus walking to him on water. The disciples start freaking out, and they think it is a ghost. And this is one of my favorite moments in the life of Peter, is he doesn't just believe, but he says, if it's really you, Jesus, tell me to come out on the water. Isn't that awesome? Jesus is like, I want to do what you're doing. I want to be with you. And he starts walking. And Jesus says, he doesn't say, this is above your pay grade, Peter. You can't do this. So yeah, I'm Jesus. You're not. No. What does he say? Come on out. Isn't that awesome? And Peter starts walking. And he's walking the walk of faith and trust. And he's doing the miraculous. And then, of course, with Peter, your favorite moment with Peter becomes the worst moment. He gets all wimpy, right? And he looks, takes his eyes off of Jesus. And he looks at the waves. And he starts sinking. And listen to what Jesus says. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand. He saves him. He doesn't even let him bob in the water at all. I think I would have. And he catches him. And he says, what's he say? And then he asks another question. Why did you doubt? Come on, Peter, you were doing it. You were there. You were right there. You had it, that faith, to even ask that question. That took faith. Now you need to walk in that faith. What I've noticed is that when we struggle with doubt, we tend to ruminate on it. We tend to sit in our doubt, don't we? Or am I the only one? Right? And what do we do? We, we don't take our, our doubt to Jesus. We kind of walk away and we pull away from the congregation. We pull away from friends and we just, just kind of sit in our doubt. Do you think Jesus wants to speak into that doubt? He wants to ask us some questions. He wants to connect it to Faith. Jesus connects faith and our struggle with anxiety. 
Any of you struggle with anxiety? We can just move on if you don't. If I, Just a few of you? Okay, we'll keep going. A much lesser known story, Jesus warns the disciples about the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders. He says, be careful. He's talking about their teaching, that it's off, it's legalistic, and it's wrong. And he says, don't let that yeast work in you. And you know what the disciples say? They're like, yeast, bread. He's really upset. We didn't bring enough bread. It wasn't the most shining moment for the disciples, right? <laughs> Missing those connections. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, aware of their discussion, Jesus asks, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Now, I think there's an anxiety there um, about not having enough, not doing it right, um, all those kind of things. But I'd like to change, if, you're, if you've got a pencil, change on your outline. I, I think there's an interesting connect of our lack of understanding. Faith and our connection with our lack of understanding. Do you ever feel like you don't get it? Yeah. You're not making those connections. Do you know we get to pray for those connections? I was just praying this weekend, something I didn't get. Do we ever connect it to faith? Lord, give me more faith. I, I believe, I, I understand, but there's, there's something more. Help me to see what you're saying, what you're doing, how you're inviting me into your work. Finally, Jesus connects faith with our struggle with the supernatural. Our, our struggle to do the kingdom work, the kingdom ministry that he calls each and every one of us to do. The disciples were doing kingdom ministry of restoration and healing, praying for one another, but a father brought a son to them and they could not heal or restore him. And then the son comes to Jesus and he, he prays his own form of the Jesus prayer. He says, Lord, have mercy on my son. Jesus heals the son, has mercy. And then later the disciples said, Jesus, what was going on? What, why, why couldn't we heal that son? And listen to what Jesus says. Um, he, he replied, because you have so little faith. Interesting. Connection of faith, faith, faith. He goes on to say, just a mustard seed. That, that little bit, that, that's all you need. Nothing will be impossible. You'll do this just that much. Now, many of us struggle to do kingdom ministry and we're, we're reluctant to, to link it to faith because the faith healers on TV and all that weird stuff. But you know, this is something different. Jesus didn't say, oh, it's that young boy who was demon possessed. Yeah, it wasn't, he, he didn't have enough faith. That was it. It was the father. He didn't have, no. It was none of that. None of that. What was he doing? He was working in his disciples. 
He's saying to do the things of God, to walk the way I've called you to walk, to live life in the kingdom of God. It, you've got to have faith. It only needs to be the size of a mustard seed, but you've got to have that faith. And when you press in and when you keep that faith, then things start to move. Then you'll see and the incredible will happen. I came across this video. Um, it's, it's about a three-minute video, so I was wrestling whether to show it or not. But it's a neat, it, it's pressing into, it's well done from a Christian perspective, and it is addressing the question of why are we so afraid? But I, I think as you watch the video, you can apply, why am I so anxious? Why, why do I struggle with insecurity? Why do I worry so much? And as we uh, listen to the video, whatever is connecting with you, you can kind of fill that in to uh, the individual speaking. I used to be afraid at night, afraid of the dark, afraid that just beyond the point my eyesight allowed me to see that there was something lurking. Afraid that the darkness itself would somehow surround me and swallow me up. As if darkness were anything more than simply the absence of light. I used to be afraid of tomorrow. Afraid that who I was would continually dictate who I am and that who I would be might be someone who I didn't like very much at all. As if there was no such thing as being made new. I used to be afraid of opinions, afraid that the words would not break my bones, they certainly would shatter my dreams, as if I started doing this for the approval of many rather than the glory of one. I used to be afraid of failure, afraid of losing, afraid of falling, afraid of being wrong, creating busts and looking absolutely stupid, because who am I to think that I could ever actually make a difference? as if those setbacks were anything more than stepping stones on the path to success. I used to be afraid. Used to. But then I did a little research. And by that, I mean I researched and I researched and I researched over and over again. And through all my researching, I kept coming up with the same exact question. What room does fear have? What room does fear have when I cling to trust? What room does fear have when I lean on hope? What room does fear have when I search for something more, when I discover what's good and when I stand in awe? When I run with perseverance, when I walk by faith and when I rest in comfort? What room does fear have when I sing with praise? When I take hold of inspiration, explore the possibilities, and step into freedom. What room does fear have when I discover strength, embrace courage, remember peace, declare truth, choose joy, experience life, and conquer death? What room does fear have when I find perfection in the one place I never thought to look? in weakness, when I'm saved by the most unlikely of heroes, by grace, when I'm invited into a relationship more loving and intimate than I could ever imagine as a child of God. I'll ask you again, what room does fear have when I step out of the darkness and I bask in the light, 
When I let the past be the past and the future has no limit. When they can talk all they want, but their opinion doesn't matter. And when failure is nothing more and nothing less than the road by which I walk my path to success. I'll ask you one last time. What room does fear have when in his word he tells me 365 times, depending on the translation, do not be afraid. As if I needed to hear that every single day. And as if that's how many times I needed to hear it before I finally believed it. What room does fear have when I make room for love? What are you afraid of? We can end the video now. I thought, wow, that, you know, obviously there's not space in the soul, that there's this beautiful, but to think about it that way is, is Jesus trying to take that, hey, look at how much fear you've got filled up in your soul. Look at how much worry you have filled up in your soul. Look at all that anxiety that's there, that insecurity. And if you follow me, I want to reduce that amount of all those things that are not from your heavenly father, but they are from the enemy who wants to hold you down and keep you away from living the life. And I want to fill that with faith. I want to increase that faith, fill that with joy and goodness and mercy and trust and all those things. Now, I wanted us to read one other story, and it is a story about a mom. And she is a non-Jewish mom, and what she decides to do is go to this Jewish religious leader where there's all this talk to. And there's all these cultural barriers between her and this Jewish Messiah, Jesus. And yet, in faith, she goes and she presses in. And it's found in Matthew 15, where I think we have the uh, story up for you. And, and she presses in, and there's some confusing, confusing elements about the story, but we'll, we'll press past those things. And I want you to see how she lives this idea of faith out. It says, leaving the place Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon, a Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. She brings her own version of the Jesus prayer. She believes that he is the son of David, meaning the Messiah, and yet she's a Canaanite woman. You remember the Canaanites from the Old Testament, all the issues, led Israel into idolatry, real hatred from many of the Jews towards the Canaanites. She presses in. Interesting response. Verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. She was becoming annoying. 
Jesus was saying, giving you a taste of your own medicine. No, he doesn't say that. Where is he? What's he say? He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Interesting. The woman came and knelt before him. <laughs> so, presses through. She just, she just needs him. A simple prayer. Lord, help me. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. She corrects Jesus. Yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs from the from that, that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said, woman, you have great faith. You have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed at that moment. So I read that story. You know, there's only two places that Jesus commends faith. One was with the centurion, soldier, um, and, and he was not, not Jewish, Roman, and uh, with this woman here. And I thought from this story, if we're going to press in and learn and grow in our faith, that we could learn from this courageous and faith-filled Canaanite woman. How we can learn from her. One is, quite simply, would you bring your issue to Jesus? Go to the next slide, Stephen. Just bring whatever that issue, whatever you were connecting this morning with. Was it anxiety? Are you wrestling with anxiety? Was it fear? Are you wrestling with fear? Insecurity, doubt, whatever that is, would you simply bring that to Jesus? That is exactly what she does. In her own version of the Jesus prayer, Lord, son of David, verse 22, have mercy on me. Have mercy on my daughter. She simply brings that issue issue to Jesus. I've noticed that many times when we're wrestling with an issue, we look a lot more like our culture than we do people of faith because we've got an issue and we bring it to a friend or we bring it to a professional or we even bring it to a pastor. I'm not saying that those things are wrong, but do we first and foremost bring whatever we have and simply bring it to Jesus right there. Jesus, would you help me? Jesus, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Jesus, I'm wrestling in this issue. Jesus, I'm struggling. I cannot sleep. I'm filled with fear. I'm overwhelmed. Jesus isn't wanting to respond with uh, uh, condemnation and judgment, but with grace and mercy. Do you know they have a sleep health index where now they're, they're measuring and tracking patterns of Americans and how healthy are their sleep patterns? 
And in the most recent study, they found that 45% of Americans say that poor or insufficient sleep affected their daily activities at at least once in the past seven days. There's a variety of reasons, sleep apnea, insomnia, worry, fear, insecurity, all those things. That means nearly half of us in this room have been negatively affected by sleep. Have we turned that over to Jesus? Or are we taking those magic pills? All right? What are we doing? The woman, she brought it to Jesus, step one. Step two is, did you notice how persistent she was? Even pressing in past the apostles' uh, objection of her, the disciples came to him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. Right? And she presses past them. She presses, even Jesus gives this response in this way that would have been incredibly discouraging to her. And yet she presses through to Jesus. Friends, growing in faith is not a one-shot deal, is not a microwave experience. We don't go to Jesus, press the button 30 seconds later, bam, we're ready to eat. It is a crockpot experience, (laughs) right? We put that in and we turn it on and then we come back and realize it's been turned off. Who turned this off? We probably did. And so we turn it back on. And we turn it back on. And we keep leaning in. We we keep pressing in. We keep bringing that issue, that struggle, that difficulty. We keep laying it at the feet of Jesus. Friends, I think that sometimes Jesus doesn't answer. just like in the story. I think sometimes there's silence. What's he doing? He's trying to get us to grow in faith, isn't he? He's trying to get us to journey with him. Finally, there, I would say the third point, I think, and I really wrestled with how to Keep leaning in, yes, and how to art, uh, uh, articulate this next one. I just put, discuss the answer with the Lord. Dialogue with the Lord. That's what we see her doing. She corrects Jesus. Yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat at the crumbs uh, that fall from the master's table. Now, how do we understand this difficult passage? Is this really the one time that Jesus is corrected? What do you think? Is this really the one time that Jesus insensitively calls a woman a dog? What do you think? It's right there in the text, isn't it? What a lot of commentators think is happening is that Jesus is quoting cultural perspectives to her. Why would he do that? He cares about her faith. 
He cares about our faith. And so he puts up the Hebrew perspective of the Messiah will only come for the Jews. She presses in, Lord, help me. She puts up the, the Jewish perspective that Canaanites are dogs. And that's why when she says and corrects Jesus and says, no, even, even dogs have crumbs, he doesn't go, ha, huh, good point. I never thought of that. That's really impressive. He doesn't do that. What's he say? Yes, faith right there. You've got it. It's right there. Come on. Disciples, stop being annoying and annoyed and look at this woman. Great is her faith. That's the kingdom life. And he granted mercy to the woman. Friends, I think we need to start making these connections of faith. I think our lives look way too much like our unbelieving neighbors. I, I think that probably percentages of struggling with sleep and worry and insecurity and doubt, all those things, a powerlessness to our life. That's the, the supernatural piece that we look so much like Others, that, that our lives are not categorically different because they don't recognize us as people of faith. We're gonna hit the same struggles, the same issues, all of that. We're gonna feel those same emotions of insecurity and doubt. God is going to allow us to do that, isn't he? So that's not the difference that he's looking for. The difference that he is looking for is are we trusting the Father? Do we really believe that he knows all of our needs? Or are we going after like the pagans, like the non-believers, and all the, what, what we're we gonna wear and where's the income gonna come and I can't, I'm overwhelmed, all that. We're gonna face those issues, but are we laying them before the Lord? Saying, I, I believe I'm going to trust you. I don't see where it's going to come from. I, I, I'm insecure about my son going to college, but I, I am not going to be overwhelmed with that fear because I know that you love him more than I love him. Just hard for me to imagine. But I'm going to trust you for that. As we live by faith, we walk by faith, and when we're struggling, we invite the Father right in there. Let's pray together. Friends, just between you and the Lord, would you take a moment? All those connections that Jesus makes with our faith, what's that one that you... <laughs> You know, you know, it's you. You know in that particular area, you, you're not walking by faith. 
Why so afraid? Why so filled with fear? Why did you doubt? Why are you doubting? Why so powerless? Remember Jesus' heart and intention. If you hear him asking the question, he's not shame and blame, none of that. He knows it's impossible to please the Father without faith. Would you discuss with him, dialogue with him, that area, that issue.